Hello out there. How's it going? Hope it's going well. Uh, You're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast. My name is Andrew Kuhn, sitting alongside my co-host and co-founder, Mr. Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? It's going very well, Andrew. Very well. Well, very well. I'm glad it's going great. I hope everyone's having a great day out there. Of course, you are listening to the podcast. This is the uh, part of our business where we just like to get our soapbox and talk about a lot of different topics. If you do like investing ideas and um, content relating around that, uh, feel free to go to focuscompounding.com. Be sure to sign up using the promo code podcast. If you also want to join our um, free weekly memo list uh, go to the homepage and you can put your email in and we'll get you on that distribution list to get a free 500 plus word memo from jeff every week at 6 a.m on sunday we're, we're, we're yep. going to stay consistent That's with that it's going to be now <laughs> so uh, yeah and it's just an investing principle it's not a specific stock it's nope. just talking about investing more of the philosophy of it yep. yeah and we're not going to do annoying things like oh check this post from the week uh nope. which you have to be behind a paywall to do that nope so this is just a pure investing uh, principle. There's a lot of people that have signed up, so be sure to check that out as well. Mm-hmm. If you do like the show, if you do like the podcast, also feel free to give us, I'm not going to tell you how many stars, but I would hope you give us five stars and, and write a, a nice review or whatever you want to say about us. Uh, maybe uh, maybe I'm bad at talking, I don't know, but write us a review and yeah. that also helps spread the word. So we really would appreciate that as well. Helps keep the lights on, right? Mm-hmm. There you go. So today we're to notice the podcast. That's how iTunes works. It's yeah, fine. that's it. So today we're going to be talking about Tandy Leather Factory. This is a stock that you wrote about in 2015. Looks like March of 2015 for Singular Diligence. Mm-hmm. Um, the report is on the stocks A to Z section on our website. So if you are a subscriber, be sure to go check that out. You can get yeah. the full report. Um, as you all know, Jeff writes long reports and very detailed. So if you want to check that out, you certainly can go and do that. You wrote about it when it was at eight dollars and sixty four cents. You appraised it at fourteen dollars and fifty cents, and this was in, like I said, March of two thousand fifteen. And that appraisal came out to one hundred forty four million dollar market cap. It's currently trading at seven dollars and seventeen cents, which comes out to sixty six dollars. I'm excuse me, sixty six million market cap or an EV of fifty five million. It's trading at fifteen times PE. Um, and yeah, and very bad E though this past year. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and if you guys follow the fintwick crowd um jeff graham which i'm sure many of you are familiar with he wrote the book dear chairman which is a great book be sure to go buy that we do not get paid to say that um he is the chairman of the company yeah and owns a lot and he owns his his firm owns a lot of the stock yep so how long and and yeah what what did we say it was like 20 to 30 percent of the company he owns or something a A meaningful position yeah it's a very meaningful position Yep. So be sure to go check out his book. And if you are interested in the stock, uh, like I said, the ticker is TLF. So Tandy Leather Factory, mm-hmm. what are they? And how long have they, haven't they been around for a while? They've been around forever. Yeah. Um, Tandy Leather Factory is what I would call a hidden champion. So it is because there's a book that I like um, called uh, Hidden Champions. And um, it's an example of a, a business that dominates a very small niche. So we had talked about Resistor once before. This is like that with Tandy. Tandy is um, leather crafting retail. So a lot of their revenue comes from leather, but um, a lot of their gross profit actually comes from sales of accessories related to that. So like, you know, belt buckles and things that would be used with leather um, so that people, hobbyists who are uh, working with it to say make a leather belt or something would buy all their stuff at Tandy. Um, And Tandy is, uh, you know, accounts for... It's probably 10 times or so the size of any of the closest competitors in that business. So, mm-hmm. it, you know, it is the name in um, other crafting retail. But it's, it's a small 
niche, a small hobby. And most people listening to this probably don't even know that people do leather crafting at home. Um, and uh, the, the older people listening to this may remember um, Tandy because it's the name of the company that um, owned Radio Shack. And the principle is the same. So the Radio Shack model of how they ran their stores is a lot like Tandy's model, which is small stores. They've now done some bigger stores um, for hobbyists. Mm -hmm. Originally, Radio Shack was for electronics hobbyists. Um, And then you have a store manager who's uh, compensated in part based on incentive compensation. Um, And then you have a fairly small number of uh, lower paid um, workers who are just hourly. Where are I? Th- I don't think I've ever seen a Tandy leather factory like store there's or anything not like many. that. They, um, there's just not many. Uh huh. So they're actually one of their biggest stores is not that far from us. Really? Where? At? Yeah, it's in the Fort Worth area. Huh. Interesting. So, 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 what do they do then? So they they make leather. Is that did I understand they that correct? They do not make leather. Okay. So what do they craft leather? What? No. Okay. They so they sell. Okay. They sell leather. Okay. Okay. So they buy leather. Yep. Okay. And they sell it in their stores. Mm-hmm. But then they also buy things that you might need, like kits, right? Sure. Okay. They buy those things. They buy, buy um, I tried to give the example of belt buckle, but things like that. Yeah, okay. Anything that you would work with the leather to produce all things that you might uh, make with it, which would include things like, um, well, you could do something to hold your cell phone, right? Uh-huh. That's what you could do. You could do something to hold a knife, Okay. right? You could do something... To I give the example of belts. Belts are pretty popular, <laughs> uh, leather belts. Yeah. So, and then um, you can do all sorts of things to uh, decorate it and, to, and all of that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. What drew you to the company when you wrote about it in 2015? Um, well, I, I mean, I for a long time, I'd just known that it was the by far dominant. Um, in terms of relative size, this may be one of the biggest examples ever of a company's relative size advantage. Um, and we interviewed some people related to it in this report saying that, you know, um, for instance, com- competitors of theirs. Mm-hmm. And they said that they buy a lot of things from Tandy. And we said, well, you're a competitor. Why do you buy a lot of things from your competitor? And they said, well, because our orders aren't big enough. So if we want to, um, like I said, if you, if you want some piece made for you in the Far East, right, mm-hmm. um, and you need 200 of it, it's easier to buy that from Tandy Whereas Tandy can buy 2,000, 20,000, things like that in terms of the runs if they're 10 to 100 times bigger than anyone else, and, and they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the advantage that they have. Um, it's, it's just want to scale that way because it's such a small niche. So it's very hard to economically have orders of that size. The gross margins here are incredible. I was just going to say, I just pulled up. I was looking at the chart you did from mm-hmm. uh, 2014 to 2013, and it was like 62%, 62%. Like What's, what's amazing stable. about that gross yeah. margin is that includes leather. And they oh. don't get good prices on leather. Huh. So that gross margin, the le- gross margin on leather is poor, very poor. I wouldn't be surprised if it's in the 20 to 40% range and more like 20 to 30. Mm-hmm. And it's a significant amount of the sales because it's a, you know, it's a pretty meaningful item for people to buy it. Um, so in terms of the actual gross profit would be even higher than that on anything that isn't, um, anything that isn't leather, the, the actual commodity. So I would say that um, if you're seeing 60% gross margins, then that could be 70 or 80% mm-hmm. on, on other items. You could easily have 70% gross margins on things that aren't leather at retail, especially also because the company combines wholesale and retail businesses, although the line is blurred over time, I think. Mm-hmm. Interesting. What do you think made or drew Jeff Graham to uh, to oh, the situation? I really don't know. Do you know what he's currently doing within the business? Like, is he just reallocating the capital? No, I know that he... they have a, that they've borrowed money. Well, not borrowed money, but they have an agreement with a bank. Mm-hmm. Um, 
might be BOK Financial, which is a stock that we covered. Oh, I'm, yeah. gonna th- I'm gonna say that I think it is BOK Financial, but yeah. that's the kind of thing I could forget. Um, who the bank is that they have the agreement with, but it's someone um, who uh, uh, is agreed to provide them capital. But the point that I'm um, mentioning that they ha- had a this line of credit or whatever is because they said specifically that the reason for using it is to, is to buy back stock, mm-hmm. which is unusual for a company to to make that agreement in the first place and to say that we're doing this because we want to be able to borrow money and buy back stock if needed. Interesting. So what's happened with the business since you wrote about it? Nothing good. Um, pretty much shortly before we started writing about it. So it had been a growth stock for a long time. Mm-hmm. And shortly before we um, started writing about it, it ran into a problem, which I think is a really big problem. And I, I mentioned it. Um, what I found through sort of scuttlebutt kind of stuff, through through research by talking to people and trying to figure out how the business works, is that um, they would have a plan where they want to pay something like 25% of the um, EBIT at the store level, right, to the manager as a bonus. Okay. Okay. All right. So that's good. But like I said, there's not many stores. Mm-hmm, so let's sure. say there's a hundred or fewer stores in the entire country, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's actually a little bit more than that, I guess. But the, the basic idea is, um, at most you have what, two stores in a state or something, right? Mm-hmm, sure. Most of them already have managers mm-hmm. that are working out there. So they want you to become manager. You have to agree to move anywhere in the country. The base salary, uh, I don't know if this is still what their base salary was, but from the talking to some people, what sounded like their base salary was maybe $35,000 a year. For the managers? Yeah, for a store manager. Uh-huh. So it's very difficult to, especially in, unless there's a terrible economy, and even then when there is, um, to get someone to say, I will move anywhere in the country for $35,000. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Right? Um, now, again, I don't know if they've changed that, and that was, um, I don't remember if we ever got that number directly from the company, but I'm pretty confident that that's something that the company had told some people who were considering being managers. Mm-hmm. So, um, like I said, that's we did a significant amount of scuttlebutt on this company, actually. And that's just by going to talk to a lot of people about it, and we talked a lot to competitors. There's um, what type of questions you ask? Like, I mean, just like they were very chatty. I mean, just like just it's like a what? Small like, industry. like, give an example. Like, why is this business doing so much better than we other companies? We didn't have or to say the name to Andy, and they would just talk all about it. So, I mean, I don't know how to express it in any other way, but it's like. Um, I don't know. It would be like there's no other industry that I can think of this way. It's like we were asking about the um, company that is, you know, almost the whole industry. Really? So yeah. So everyone, everyone we talk to competes with and buys from Tandy. Okay. Okay. So even if you just talk to them about the industry, they'd start talking to you about Tandy because that's the big. This is a microcap stock. This sure. Is a less than hundred million dollar stock. Yeah. But to them, it's the eight hundred pound gorilla. Mm-hmm. Right. Sure. And so, yeah, and more so than anyone. I mean, I can't compare it to anyone. Maybe, you know, if it was like, let's talk about operating systems and, you know, the PC age and they're talking about Microsoft. Mm-hmm. But that's the only thing I can compare it to in terms of how um, talkative people were about it and about the um, whether they thought it was good or bad, whether they thought they were predatory or, or not and, th- and things like that. Yeah. Interesting. And do you still think that you wrote in your report that you think that they could potentially double sta- uh, sales over the next 10 years? Do you still feel confident about that and well here's the issue i think they can do that if they close their existing store and then build a bigger version of it somewhere else uh, not build but uh, rent a bigger version of it somewhere else mm-hmm. um these are not very big format stores so they, they don't have to build them um but uh i don't think that they can have enough managers to do that or they have to change that program somehow so that's what i really came to the conclusion with this stock with uh 
the conclusion was I don't think they can grow as many stores as we were hoping because I just don't think that there can be enough um, managers of good quality. For instance, they there have been times in the history where they make money at almost every store, but then they were losing money at a couple of stores, and it had nothing to do with the location. It was just bad managers. Really? Yeah, but you know that happens. But if you have if it's such a small niche that you're not paying people a lot of money in base salary, they have to move all over the country, and you don't really want to fire them and find someone else. Um, I think the company said itself that when they replaced people, uh, the same, it, one of their top performing managers moved to a underperforming store. It quickly became one of the more profitable stores. Really? Yeah. yeah. And, and so it was just an issue with managers. I was going to say, do you think it's hard to find the correct managers for them to, to run their stores? Because they, it's kind of like, you know what I'm we, saying? Like I said with the scuttlebutt thing, yeah. we were told over and over again that these were all lums of the former incarnation of Tandy. So I should get into that and what, yeah, that, what means. Is that Yeah, what does that mean? Okay, so Tandy, grew, so Tandy Leather Factory is the name of the company. Mm-hmm. Leather Factory actually took over Tandy. So Leather Factory was founded by some um, employees who left Tandy. Oh, interesting. Okay, so Tandy had a founder. Um, I think it was Charles Tandy. I'm not going to remember exactly what the name <laughs> was, but who um, shortly after World War II got involved in leather crafting as a hobby thing and started up this business. And um, eventually executives over from the Radio Shack side of things took over the Tandy side, mm-hmm. right? Because Radio Shack got to be huge and everything. Um, well, they were corporate types and they did a poor job of running it. And uh, at one point, most of the stores were unprofitable. They kept opening more and more stores. I think their store base was two to four times what it is now but most of the stores weren't making any money at one point so it was really bad and they were focused on a lot of growth and stuff and uh, that upset some people and a bunch of people who were probably good business people left mm-hmm. and they started up their um, their own leather crafting yeah thing. I mean like everyone we talked to was formerly employee of Tandy wow that's so interesting um, yeah. I mean pretty much vengeance yeah. in, in some sense most uh, yeah everyone had some ties to Tandy that, uh-huh. that we talked to in the industry sure it, whether they were running a one-store shop or whatever, which is usually where they were running. Um, yeah, they had some, and it's often a website now. People have both a store and a website. Interesting. Um, and so then they grew it, um, the wholesale side of the business, and then they were able to acquire Tandy when it was in terrible shape and had only a few stores, and they grew it back up. But all they really did is bring it back. It's like we talked about Hostess, mm-hmm. right? Old Hostess, like getting it back to the level that Hostess brands once had. Sure, pre Under new owners, yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Exactly the same idea. It was just get to the same level of stores Got that it. are profitable, that are successful of the old Tandy. Uh-huh. And so I always talk about, when we're talking about Tandy, about the original Tandy, but actually this is really Leather Factory. Sure. But the people from Leather Factory were really from Tandy, and the model is 100% a copy of it. And they would admit that themselves about how they did it, is they're like, we're just bringing back the old just model, the original 2. Tandy. 2.0, time to make it yeah, a little yeah. bit better. It's yeah. like Pixar people now run disney animation sure. side of things but uh-huh. there really were all people who left disney anyway and loved disney and you know same sort of thing interesting and so when you wrote about it it was trading around seven times ebit it's still trading kind of around that seven mm-hmm. times ebit to ebit do you think that's a good spot for a lot of people to like would you ever consider adding this stock to your portfolio now i mean why didn't did you yeah. did you did not purchase the stock back when you i didn't wrote think about it would it? grow and i still really? don't i'm not still not sure if it can grow if they buy back stock that's so attractive you, you didn't think it was you didn't feel certain about the pro- like its future like growth per se well, if or you what, look at because the, of the industry or what i don't know if you have the data sheet in front of you look at the data of how fast it was growing in the past it was a very strong growing um company until about the time of the financial crisis maybe um i don't know if that was exactly it but it was driven entirely by a new sale a new store growth uh-huh. so they were constantly growing um yeah so you know sales growth until the until um yeah until about the financial crisis or yeah, so it looks it was like, constantly yeah they were 
like a 2005, six, it was 51 million, 55 million, then 54, then 52. Uh, so it kind of mm-hmm. fell off around the financial crisis a little bit. But it's just because they weren't opening new stores. Net. Sure. Uh-huh. Uh, they tried to open some in international places, some things like that. But if you look, their new store openings net are just nothing. Um, this most recent year they did. Uh, they, I think they had four net store openings or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that also, by the way, drags down results. So when you open a new store, that hurts results um, for a bunch of reasons. One, you have costs associated with opening the new store, stuff like that. You sure. take on some um, expenses with that. But also the store will initially underperform. Because it's not like if you this is a niche business. It's mm-hmm. not like opening a cheesecake. When you open it, no one knows it's there. Yeah, right. You have to get attention people there, send out mail things, you have to get the manager knowing who are the best customers and things like that. As we pointed out, some Tandy customers are actually themselves um selling things in the industry, they're competitors in some way too. So, um, and, and so, you know, you have to just build up uh, a following there. And so I would assume that in the first year they're not uh, terribly successful. Yeah. I don't know if there's a lot of information from the company about that, but that's usually how these kinds of niche retail things work. Interesting. So with it being around $7.18, do you think uh, you, it's you very rec- recommend It's very, very cheap. Yeah. So if you look at the numbers that really matter, like EV to gross profit, mm-hmm. gross profit is a number that shouldn't bounce around that much. Uh, sales can bounce around a little bit for them because, like I said, leather they sell a bunch of leather that doesn't really create a lot of profit for them. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if I would count that. And then you also have sort of operating expenses, which might spike when they're opening new stores and things like that. But generally I would say a number like enterprise value to gross profit is useful. Um, also price to book because historically this is a company that grew uh, First of all, book value is mostly net current assets. Okay. So this actually, st- this isn't a net net or anything like that, but it's a stock that's surprise for a successful business. Surprisingly, close to net current asset value really, yeah. so uh, net current assets might uh, at this moment maybe 60 percent 70 percent something like that of the price is represented by net current assets inventory things like that um so you know it, it would be on there on, on a list of things that aren't that far from being net nets it's not a net net and it's trading above book value but certainly um historically could easily earn like a 20% return on equity or something, especially when you're dealing with the lower taxes now, because mm-hmm. obviously other stores are in, gonna the, be in the U S basically. Yeah. yeah. So you have lower taxes on that. Um, we talked about the margins and everything at the store level. These are, it's an excellent business. So you'd be buying something which, you know, should, you know, the successful stores, if they've been open for a little while, they're definitely going to be producing returns on equity. that are 20% or higher. So the fact that you have something at a price to book that, what is it now? I think it's close to 1.1 times, 1.2 times. 1.14, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. So you just do the math on that. Think about that. Um, on average, your stores, I'm telling you, are producing 20% or higher returns on equity. Mm-hmm. So if you're getting them at a price to book that's close to one times, sure. you know, that's really attractive. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe not this year, but I'm telling you, this is this is certainly their worst uh, earnings in the last five years. So if you averaged out five years of earnings mm-hmm. or something, you'd get a better number than right now. Why do you think that their earnings have been kind of slumping? Well, for one thing, it's the first time they opened new stores in yeah. about five years. So um, some other things changed with the company. They have a new CEO. The CEO is the old CFO. So they had a CFO probably was the CFO for 15, 16 years, something like that. Oh, wow. now so the CEO. He's been with them for a while. Yeah, I think it's she. Um, she? I think it, I th- Sorry. No, no, that's fine. I didn't say who it was. I th- I f- if I have it right, I think it's Sharon Green who was the CFO and is now the CEO. Interesting. Um. Uh, I hope I'm not wrong about that, <laughs> but um, yeah. So, th- so uh, that there was changes there. There's some possibly changes in in other things. We mentioned that there's a chairman who was not the chairman a few years ago. 
um, who, who's a major investor, which was not the case of who was running the company before. Which obviously is probably pretty favorable. He wants the same outcome that anyone buying into the stock would want, I'm mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Yeah. But like I said, they've had trouble growing for a while. Um, and, and, you know, and, and the stock is, but the stock has been pretty cheap. Even when we wrote about it, the stock had been maybe eight times EBIT or lower. F- no, usually, yeah, it was like consistent. right around seven times EBIT. Yeah. Okay, right around seven so times EBIT right, right consistently. Yeah. Consistently since maybe the financial crisis. When has it been like that? Um, well, you wrote about it in 2015, but we we go back. Let's see. Well, I, there is a graph in there somewhere yeah. that, that shows. Um, yeah, it says that it's been around eight times EBIT or lower since about 2007. Yeah, so it's been right around the crisis. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's not a very, I don't think it's a very popular stock that way. Um, uh, you know, it, it does trade on major exchange. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not an, an asset. It, yeah, it's not an OTC stock or anything, but its market cap is not very big. Um, I think mostly no one's ever heard of leather crafting. Yeah. Um, so I think that that honestly is part of it. That, yeah. That I, I've noticed before that stocks that are kind of like one industry, one stock industries, you know, mm-hmm. this is the only publicly traded stock that does anything like this. Sure. Um, don't get a lot of attention. But the market hasn't been wrong for the last, uh, you know, uh, almost 10 years or whatever now because since the financial crisis, they've had trouble opening new stores. And, and that, like I said, is the reason why I haven't bought it is because of my concern about whether they could open new stores. But now they have just opened some recently. Mm-hmm. Um, but And also it's just getting to a price where it could be attractive even without growth sure. if they buy back stock. Mm-hmm. If they hadn't been buying back stock, they would occasionally pay a dividend. When and they, they have it. been buying back stock, right? Or yeah, like I said, they had an agreement yeah. that planned for it, and I think they spent three or four million buying back stock. I don't know the exact number. Do you know how much they planned to buy back? Did they say? Uh, they actually added to it after the original oh, agreement really? how much they could. Wow. I would guess they, if I remember right, I think they have the ability to borrow enough to buy back twenty or twenty-five percent of the company. Oh wow! Um, but as like I said, as far as I know, they might have only bought back more like five percent or something. Um, historically, they'd like. I think they did special dividends um, once in a while to get rid of the the cash that they had. It's a heavy working capital business. So th- those tend to have this issue where they don't want to pay a regular dividend. And they had said sometimes, I think, that they weren't sure if they wanted to be a regular buyer back of their stock because they had some concerns about do we really want to drive the liquidity in the stock. Mm-hmm. So, um, But that may have just been an excuse not to sit on the cash. Sure. Sometimes companies use that when they're when they're illiquid. Um, and this is not a terribly illiquid stock. Like I said, it is listed on major exchange. It's um, $60 million market cap or something. It's perfectly fine for investors to buy into it. Um, I don't know how easy it would be for the company to buy back huge amounts of the stock. Interesting. Yeah, but it's getting close to the point where it's like a Ben Graham uh, type stock. It's, it's getting surprisingly close to that, considering, like I said, it's completely dominant in that industry. Well, that's good. It's a good time for people to start to learn about the business. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone should learn about this business. Cool. Any final thoughts on the company? Nope, I would just say look at um, how much of it is in the form of current assets and how productive those assets normally are. I think you have a lot of protection here. There's not a lot of downside. The upside, I don't know if there's huge upside, mm-hmm. but I think this is the kind of thing, this is what I would call a boring stock. People <laughs> avoid because it's boring, yeah, not sure. because they have some big concern about it. Um, and I think that's the issue here that a lot of people will read about it. That was interesting, but pass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that tends to be what happens with the kind of, this kind of stock. 
Interesting. Well, if you are looking for a good place to start reading about it, uh, Jeff's Singular Diligence write-up is on our stock A to Z section of our website. Of course, that's at focuscompounding.com. If you aren't a subscriber and you want to subscribe, uh, of course, use the podcast promo code, which is podcast, which gives you $10 off the subscription price uh, indefinitely as long as you stay a member. Um, As I did say at the beginning of the podcast, if you want also, feel free to leave us a rating or a comment on our podcast on iTunes. That, of course, broadens our reach to other people that like Jeff said is how iTunes works if you want to follow us on Twitter um, I don't have anything interesting to say so don't follow me but if you want to, no, just kidding. <laughs> it's uh, Jeff's is at Jeff Gannon that's G-E-O-F-F Gannon G-A-N-N-O-N mine is at Focused Compound uh, I do tweet out just a bunch of random stuff on investing uh, a lot of information I've been tweeting out just stuff that I find interesting I actually I did tweet out I, I found an old Google Drive of um, a bunch of just investing documents that I had in there I don't own the material but I've just been tweeting it out to a lot of people and I think a lot of people have been enjoying it so, mm-hmm. so you have I, the Joel Greenblatt yep, notes in there a yeah. lot of people have emailed about yeah. the uh, Joel Greenblatt's special situation class I did tweet that out um, it's about 340 pages of over a summary of over like eight years or something like that. And, of, and people could follow the uh, chairman of Tandy. That is true. Chairman of Tandy. Uh, I, I don't Graham. even know what it is, but I know no, his name is Jeff. I know I follow him, Jeff so Graham. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he wrote Dear Chairman, so be sure to check that book out. Uh, Jeff, if you're listening, you want to come talk about this company, <laughs> uh, uh, reach out to us and we'll certainly love to have you on. But other than that, we hope everybody uh, has a great day, a great week, and we'll see you in the next podcast.